Open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. While you're turning there, since it's been several weeks, I just want to very quickly call us back to the same place. And not all of us are here every week to get this, and this is so important. This material, this course on renewing the mind, I mean, everything that the Word of God gives us is life-changing. But this is very practical. It's intended to be very practical right down where we live. While you're turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the basis of this whole, whole course, the basis of the thesis is out of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which tells us three things in it. The first two are things we are not to do. It says not to be conformed to this world. And the word conformed is a Greek word which means to be pressured on the outside with such pressure that you look like on the outside what that pressure is. And we've used the example of a, of a, of a, of a, of a press that presses a, mint, a coin, a mint that mints coins. And they take a, a, a piece of copper or for a penny or a piece of nickel, which isn't really nickel, for a, a nickel or a quarter, it's silver and some alloy, and then there's a press that comes down and it presses on it. And when the pressure of that press releases, the outside of that coin now reflects the inside of that mold, but it doesn't change the nature of that material. It just makes it look differently on the outside. And that's what that word Suchimitizo means. It means to pressure from the outside with such pressure to make us look on the outside like the mold that's pressing against us. And that speaks of the pressures of the world's system, the world's way of thinking, the world's needs, all the things that are pressing on us every day. And there's a purpose behind that pressure because the enemy wants to put such pressure on you that regardless of what Christ did for you on the inside when you came to him, that that never comes to the outside. If he could have stopped you from being saved, he would have done that. shows you how powerful he is, doesn't it? But he couldn't stop you from coming to Christ once you, once, you op- once you chose and opened your mouth and exercised your will. He couldn't stop that miracle from happening on the inside. So the next best thing he can do is to see whatever he can do to stop that change that took place on the inside of you from affecting anybody else. And because nobody else can look inside of you, all they can see is the outside of us. He uses pressure from the outside to keep all that bottled up inside of us. Which leads us to the second thing that verse says, what we are to do, which is to be transformed. That word is a Greek word. If you really study it out, it means to take what you really are like on the inside and bring it to the outside. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to take what he's built into you when Christ came into you, when the Spirit of God was birthed into you, but that doesn't do anybody else any good as long as it's just bottled up inside of you. And so God's will is that we be transformed, changed from the nature that's on the inside for that nature to work its way to the outside. So they're really after the opposite sides of the same goal. And we saw that at the end that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect word of God. And we looked in Ephesians chapter 2 and we saw that God wants to prove to the spiritual forces in heavenly places what his grace will do. So you and I are trophies of his grace. We're not trophies of how strong we are, how smart we are, how determined we are. We're trophies of what God's grace and what God's love can do in someone like me as that works to the outside. And we are in this great, we are this great line of witnesses in a courtroom where God is using your life and my life as a testimony to these angelic beings of what God's grace and God's work, God's nature can do in people. That's what's at stake. It's not just your life or my life. It's far bigger than that. That's the basis of all of that. And that way you're transformed, he goes on to say, 
is by renewing your mind. And we've looked at the mind. We've located what its purpose is and seen how, what a critical thing the mind is. And we've seen that you are not your mind. Your mind is a tool that was given to you. But it's so critical because your mind is a gate. It determines what gets down inside of you. And it determines how much of what's inside of you comes to the outside. Which is why Satan works so hard to, to indoctrinate your mind. And it's up to us. We're responsible for changing how our mind thinks. Then we looked at what it means to renew the mind. It means to change the pattern of thoughts. Then we looked at how the mind operates. And it really comes down to this. And so we're going to read these scriptures in here. And then we're going to go into a little different aspect of it tonight. We'll pick up here. Uh, let's start in verse 2. But I beg you when I am present with you not to be bold with that confidence with which I intended to be bold against some who think of us as who walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So apparently there's a war going on. So this thing we're talking about, this battle we're talking about, Paul refers to as a war or a battle. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of the flesh, but they're mighty in God. That's what we're going to begin to look at tonight. For the pulling down of strongholds, the casting down, the new King James says, of arguments, the King James says, imaginations, and of every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to obedience of Christ. And as we looked at those scriptures to begin with, we saw three different aspects of that that are what your mind operates in. The first thing that's talked about here are strongholds. The next thing that's talked about here is an, an, understand, an argument or an imagination. What that literally means in the Greek is it's taking pieces of something together and putting them together in such an arrangement that it makes an image or a picture or an idea or a concept. And then the third element here is thoughts. And we went back and looked at this principle that your mind, what affects you, what, 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 how your mind affects you is through images, pictures. And I mentioned, if I mentioned to you an apple, you're not, most of you, I assume, are not immediately going to, your mind's not going to go through some uh, botanical explanation of what constitutes an apple. You're going to picture something red and round or green and round with a little stem. Whatever an apple means to you, you're going to have the flash of an image in your mind. And that affects what you think it is. If you are going to give directions to somebody of either how to get from here or get somewhere else, in your mind you're picturing intersections and then describing that to you to them. So your mind works in terms of pictures. But we've talked about those pictures are made up of a smaller unit. And we went back and looked at a, at a uh, as an example, a newspaper phot- photograph or, or the picture on your television. And we discussed the fact that that picture is not one solid image. It's made up of a whole series of dots that are arranged in a particular order. And when you step back from those dots, you get a picture of those, the way those dots are arranged together. Talked about in art. The style of art, of art known as Impressionism is made of little splotches that if you look at them too closely, it doesn't make any sense. But if you step back, it leaves an impression on you, an image that makes not just a graphic description of something, but it leaves an emotional impression on you because that image has an imprint or impression on you. And your mind works with those. And most of the teaching that deals with renewing the mind deals with images. But the root, in order for it to be effective, you cannot deal at the image level. You've got to deal with what at the level that the image is made up of, and that's the dots. 
And when it comes to our mind, the, the dots part of it are our thoughts. So your mind collects thoughts together. And we've talked about those old game, children's game books, which were called Dot to Dot, where you'd have a, maybe 30 dots that are numbered, and there'd be some little lines to give you some help. And you'd draw, if you knew how to count correctly and you weren't rebellious, you would connect one dot one to dot two, to dot three, to dot four, to dot five. And if you c- connected them in the right order, those dots together now formed an image. But if you don't correct them in the right order, you'll come up with a different image. And that's important to understand. That's why I'm spending the time tonight to go back over that. Because your mind works with images, but those images are made up of a series of thoughts. And every thought that comes into your mind is intended by either God or by Satan to be a part of some image. We talked about a stronghold. A stronghold is an image that's been there long enough that it becomes part of you and that you react to it. That's why on a computer they have these screensavers because they found, because in these, these modern ones are not like that, but the older ones were cathode ray, cathode ray tubes. The, they they were, worked the same way. And what would happen is, is if you left that image on there too long, those little dots got illuminated long enough that when you turned it off, they didn't go out. So now there's an imprint on your TV set. There's an imprint on your computer screen that's now permanent. That's like a stronghold. And when an image has been in your mind enough and you've relied on it enough and reacted on it enough, it becomes a stronghold. And you know it's a stronghold when you see something or you hear something and you don't have to go through a thought process. You go from A to Z. It's when he looks at you over the top of that newspaper and gives you that look. You, nobody has to explain it to you. There has to be no conversation. There's an immediate reaction. That's a stronghold. I've talked, shared from my childhood situations because of the, some ways I was raised that, that, that I could at 45 years of age hear my father's voice on the phone and react like a 10-year-old even though my mind is telling me this is ridiculous but my inner man, this, not my inner man, my emotional center of me had a, was, this had such a stronghold on me that my rational mind couldn't overcome it. And that's what is affecting all of our lives. And we're going to talk tonight about... Then we've talked about certain basic keys before we get into using these tools. And I'm just going to very quickly read through them. I'm not going to spend any time on them. The first key was to decide that the Word of God is the authority in your life. The second was to get control of your mind. We talked about that, first of all, you can control your mind and how, what you're going to need to, to control your mind. We used our little dog as an example in obedience school. Third, the third principle is what you pay attention to becomes larger in your mind. These are all things we're going to use for learning how to renew the mind. The fourth one was that you can't think more than one thought at a time. And had you close your eyes and in, in your mind count backward from 100 and then say your name out loud and you found that you stopped counting the moment you said your name. And the last things we talked about was to get out of your life anything that reinforces the old images. It may be relationship. Now, I'm not talking about your spouse. But you may have friends, you may have friends from the past that just want to talk about old things and that, are, that you're trying to get away from. And those are going to continue to, pay, to sow seeds, to sow dots, to sow thoughts in your mind while you're trying to change the image. Focus your efforts. Don't try to change everything all at once. Now what we're going to begin to talk about tonight is the process of renewing your mind. And it goes into these scriptures again. The first thing we see in here is that, the wep- that God's given us weapons or tools to renew our mind. Remember the goal is this. 
you cannot erase the old strongholds. You can't just go in there with an eraser or take a pill and erase them. But what you can do is replace them with positive strongholds. And the second thing you can do is stop feeding the old ones. Because as you stop feeding them, they begin to slowly fade. And as you replace them with new strongholds, those new strongholds begin to take over. And the process is going to involve, whereas the old strongholds are a result of thoughts that may have come through your parents, through teachers, through TV shows, you've, you know, whatever. All kinds of sources that the world and Satan through the world has to plant those seeds in your mind. And I again go back over this. No thought is innocent. Because every thought has as a goal to be part of some image. And we went back and looked at learning to learn when the, when the UPS man comes to the door, he's bringing a package to you, and that package is going to affect what's going on in your house. Remember the frogs loose in my household when I was growing up? In the same way, every thought that comes to your mind is intended to, to be part of some image. And you and I have the responsibility, just as we do at that door before we sign for the package, we have the responsibility to determine what that thought's going to do when we let it in our mind. And we've talked about that. Okay. So what we're looking at now is the goal, again, is to stop feeding the old images, the old strongholds, and to intentionally create new images that will eventually become new strongholds. And the way, this is why it was so important to go over all this exercise. And the way you're going to create new images is by putting new thoughts in that you intentionally choose and you choose what image you want that, those collection of thoughts to form. And we're going to use images that are based on the Word of God because our goal is to replace the old strongholds with new strongholds that are based on what God says about you, who God says you are, what God says He's done for you, and on strongholds of who God is and what God is like. And the whole purpose of this, going through this, is that the weapons that God's given to us, the tools that God has given to us, for this process are chosen by God and empowered by God to do that. That's why although you may have, like me, almost 68 years worth of some images in my head, it's not going to take 68 years to change them. Because most of those were based on thoughts that are not true. Remember we said, you know, you can have an image, an image only lives inside of your mind. It may accurately reflect something that's true, but most of them don't. We showed you the picture on the screen of our granddaughter, Emma, and I pointed out to you that's not Emma. That's a picture of Emma. Emma's home in bed, I hope. So, in the same way, the images you have in your mind are not reality. They're just real in your mind, just the way a dream is. But when you begin to replace those with truth anointed by God for this very purpose. We're exercising tools that have been given to us by God. They're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. So the first thing is that while we live in the flesh, this is part of a spiritual battle. If you go back into Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, it says the weapons of our... It says that, that for we wrestle not with flesh and blood. That means we're wrestling. 
you wrestle with thoughts. You wake up in the middle of the night. You know, you're nice and peaceful. You get up and get a glass of water. You may go to the bathroom and you come back and the next thing you know, thoughts start coming into your mind and you begin to let them in and the next thing you know, you're running way down the road in the middle, you know, to, to you know, what's happening or going to happen. And, and none of that's happened yet. But your minds, those are all thoughts. They're planting images in there. And what we've got to learn is we can't just idly sit by and let whoever put thoughts in our mind. We have that responsibility not just to control what comes in, but purposefully determine what we want to put in there. And that's what we're going to learn how to do. So we live in a, although we live in the flesh, it's a spiritual battle, but the weapons God's given us, they're not from this flesh realm. All Satan has to work with is fleshly weapons. This is not a fair fight, you know. He'll try to tell you he can outgun you. He'll try to tell you he's stronger. But remember what Jesus said about him? He's a liar. And he's the father of lies, not only that, there is no truth in him. He will use the truth, but lie to you about it. So just because something's the truth doesn't mean what you're being told about it is the truth. Did, did I lose anybody there? Okay. The truth, facts are truth. But it's not, we've talked about this before. It's not the facts we see or the facts we hear that impact us. It's what we think about them. Remember I told you the story of one of our sons that fell down when he was just learning to walk, bumped his head, and he didn't start crying. He looked to me to what my reaction was going to be. Why? The fact was he'd hit his head. But he didn't know what that meant because he was too young. We hadn't taught him what that meant. So he looked to me to interpret what this meant. And if I had gone, oh my goodness, you little baby, I would have interpreted to him what it means to bump your head. But instead we just picked him up and said, wow, wasn't that interesting? And went right on because I didn't want to build fear in him about something he didn't need to be afraid of. And that happens with us all the time. All right. So there's a spiritual battle going on. We are to fight against these strongholds using weapons that God has given to us that are not of the flesh. So again, this is not a fair fight in the good sense. Okay. All right. Now, let me talk to you a little bit about what it's like to use your flesh, because this is what most of us do, to fight this battle. Because most of us are aware to some degree that not all of our thinking straight. Would you be honest enough with yourself to realize? You're, let's put it this way. You're not right about everything. I don't want to shock you if, you if you promise to not tell anybody. I'm not right about everything. Nobody fainted. Nobody passed out. In fact, if you meet people that think they're right, especially pastors, be wary. Nobody's right about any, everything except one. And that makes us need him all the more. So we all recognize there's some areas of our life that, that aren't just right. There's some areas of our thinking that are not just right. So here's what we do. We see what the Word of God says about it. And we see, we measure where we are against the Word of God. And how do we try to handle that? We determine we're going to be better at that. We determine I'm going to, I'm, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to pray every day for at least a certain period of time. I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be in church every Wednesday night on time. Maybe even earlier. I'm not looking at anybody. 
I'm going I'm to be better at this. And we try, and we're sincere. And we're trying to, oh, we're trying to transform ourselves by trying harder. We're trying to take what's on the inside and haul it to the outside by working harder at it. But that's using flesh to overcome flesh. Any of you, I'm sure I know some of you are, old enough to remember car radios that had push buttons on it? You know, and you'd push in the left-hand button and you decided, I don't want that one, so I've got to go find the next one and you push in the third button. What happens to the first button when you push in the third button? It pops back out. That's what it's like to work with through your flesh. So suppose out of your own self-will, you're able to take control of this area and through serious, focused effort, Get that habit under control all by yourself. I got it conquered. You pushed that button in. But what just popped out was, oh, look what I did. Pride just popped out at the other end of the the radio. Because God never told us to do this by the strength of our own effort. He never told us to overcome these things by our own determination. Because if we do that, then we get to share some of the credit with Him. And my Bible says God will share His credit with no man. He'll be a debtor to no man. But that's good news to us. Let me give you some help with this. Ephesians 6.10, talking about this battle, says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in your own determination. And It doesn't say that? But that's what we do. We read a scripture and say, this is what I've got. I need to do this more. I, I know I'm not doing a good job. I need to do this more. So we just determine more and more we're going to do that. And what happens when you do that? You fail even more. Because that's what happened under the law. The sincere people tried hard to keep the law. They just couldn't do it. And God didn't give them the law to prove what they could do. God gave them the law to prove what they couldn't do on their own so that they knew they needed Him and His grace. And so Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might, not your might. Let's go to, we're in 2 Corinthians, let's go to chapter 12, because here's the lesson Paul had to learn. Paul's talking about, not being sick here, but he's talking about the pressure and the persecution that came against him to fulfill his call. And he says earlier, um, verse 7, Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. It doesn't say God gave it to him. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that this obstacle, this pressure, this buffeting might go be taken away from me. And God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. He didn't say no. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. 
So we've learned before, grace is not just on God's unmerited favor. It is God's unmerited favor, but because in the sense that everything God does for us, we didn't, well, everything God does for us, we didn't merit. And we are not getting what we do merit, <laughs> what we do deserve. But that means when God gives us strength, when we don't have strength, we didn't merit that. He just gave it to us. When God gives us understanding and wisdom of how to get out of a situation, we didn't ask that or deserve that. God gave that to us. So that's also grace. But grace doesn't just mean some passive thing where God looked the other way at our sins and He didn't do that anyway. Grace means God supplies what you need that you can't do yourself in every area of your life. And so Paul, God is saying to Paul, yes, I know you're under pressure. I know you want to get this away, but here's the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to give you my grace. I'm not, it's not, not I'm going to give you extra grace. I'm going to take my grace and give it to you because my grace is sufficient and my strength is made perfect in your strength. No. In your weakness. See, we, I don't know about you, but I picture the Apostle Paul as just, you know, not, maybe not physically a giant, but he must have had a powerful personality. He must have never doubted at any time. He must have just been just a tower of strength. If you read the Bible, you find that that's not always true. This letter begins with a chapter which says he despaired at one point of his own life. He'd had it. He wanted out of here. He wanted to just quit, give up, die. But he said, God had comfort on me. God encouraged him. See, strength and victory in walking with the Lord doesn't mean that you don't ever waver. It doesn't mean that you don't ever have down days. It, what it means is God's grace is there to carry you no matter what's going on in your life. And Paul learned a lesson in this. Because we're talking about learning to learning to to have control of this process. And we're learning here that that, that, the weapons God has given us are mighty through Him, not mighty through me. Mighty through Him. And the learning process is learning how to stop trying so hard myself and trust Him to do the part I can't do. He had me awake at 2 o'clock this morning teaching this to me. showing me areas where I was, getting, I was getting frustrated and weary and worn out. And God says, that's because you're off trying to handle these things yourself. You know what I've said to do, and now you're trying to go do it in your own strength. How are you doing? I said, I'm not doing too well. I'm awake in the middle of the night when I should be sleeping. I'm worn out. I just got back from vacation, ready to go out on another one. And, you know, and I've been back one day at work. He says, you're not handling too well on your own, are you? I never intended you to. Come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Paul had to learn this lesson. This wasn't in the beginning of his ministry either. This is later on. God's answer is, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength This is what he says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. The weapons of God are not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. God's strength is made complete, as the word means, 
in our weakness. So Paul says, I got it. Therefore, most gladly I will boast in my infirmities. That's not sickness and disease. That word in Greek means inability to produce results by your own strength. That's what that word means. It's an inability by just sucking it up inside of you and determining by your own strength to do it. It's an inability to do that. That's what that word infirmities means. Paul says, I've learned a lesson now. I'll boast in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest on me. Therefore, verse 10, I take pleasure in my weaknesses or my inability to do it myself in the works of my flesh, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. Notice sickness is not listed in there. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, that's when I'm my strongest. When I am weak, that's when I'm my strongest. Romans 8, 13. Let's check there quickly. I believe this is going to help somebody tonight. If not, it's going to help me. Let's go to verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtor. Now, what the first 11 verses he's told us, which is often Paul's pattern, he's told us what Christ has done for us, what God has done for us in Christ. Just God just done this. What you could not do because of the weakness of your flesh, he says earlier, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of flesh and an offering for sin, he condemned your sin in his flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, that's our efforts, but according to the spirit, that's the work his spirit did when you, was born, when you were born again. But now he begins to shift to what our responsibility is. Verse 11, he says, for, uh, um, verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we're debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Now that doesn't, he's not talking here about letting your flesh run loose and doing whatever your flesh wants to do. He's talking about what you're relying upon for your standing before God. That's the whole context of this chapter and really of Paul's discussion here. He says, For we're debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. In other words, if your trust is in the works of your flesh, you're going to, separate, you're going to be separated from God. You will, keep, you're not be, you will not be living in relationship with God. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. In other words, if you're relying on the Spirit of God in you to put those things to flesh, the power of God in you, by the Spirit of God in you, then you will overcome and you will live. Another verse that says the same thing is Galatians 5.16. It says, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. We try to overcome the lusts of the flesh by trying harder to not lust. Now remember one of the principles I taught you is the more you think about something, the bigger it becomes in your mind. That is why this is one of Satan's devices. The more of what you think about you shouldn't do, the bigger what you shouldn't do gets in your mind. The more you think about that lust you shouldn't have, guess what? The bigger that lust gets in your mind because the more you think about it, guess what you're doing? You're meditating on it. The devil doesn't care whether you're thinking positive or negative about it. He just wants you thinking about it. In fact, the reality is he just wants you looking at you. Isn't that what we learned in our study of the two kingdoms? In this kingdom, what were they doing? They were lost in who God is. Wow. Oh, how magnificent he is. To the point they didn't realize they didn't have clothes on. You've got to be pretty unaware of yourself to not realize you don't have any clothes on. 
They were, they were not at all aware of themselves. They were lost in who he is. And what does Satan begin to talk to them about when he comes in chapter 3? He talks to them about them and what they're not getting. He says, God's keeping something from you. He's slowly, subtly getting them to turn their attention to look at themselves. But isn't that exactly what he did? He became lifted up in his own beauty. He in heaven, who was one of the angels in charge of worship, to be so caught up in the glory of God, somewhere along the line, took his eyes off of God and began to look at his own beauty and forgot where that beauty came from. And the more you look at yourself, the more you think you're the source. The more you look at yourself, the more you think you've got to take care of yourself. The more you look at yourself, the more you think you're responsible for yourself. The more you look at yourself, the more it becomes centered around you and you become your own God. And so the subtlety here is the more you think about that lust, the more you think about what you're doing wrong, the more you're thinking about you. Whereas my Bible says in Hebrews 12 too, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. That verse follows verse 1, which tells us that to, to lay aside the sins and the weights, that so easy, the weights and the sins that so easily beset us. And then the next verse says how to do it, looking unto Jesus. Because if you're trying to get rid of the weights, by looking at the weights, you're going to trip over yourself. But when you look at Him, and you get lost in His beauty and His grace and His wonder, those weights fall off because you're not paying attention to them. Spiritual battle does not mean that God does everything. It just means that we use His weapons. The next point under the process is that our fight is against imaginations and strongholds that raise themselves up against knowing God. The word imagination there is a word that actually means in Greek, it's logismo, which actually means a structure, a system of thoughts and ideas that are together make up a picture or a belief system. And our world is filled with these right now. Humanism, which is at the root of most of these, is exactly what that is. It's a worldview that believes that God, there is no God or if there's a God, he's irrelevant, that man is the, de- is the master of his own destiny. So man is the center of his life. Man is the source of his destiny. Man is the source of his accomplishment. And that view is a stronghold. That view has exalted itself in the way of the knowledge of God to the extent now that even pastors are writing books that there is no God. There are people out there boldly declare things they never would have declared when I was growing up. There is no God. Why? Because we can't see Him. Our scientific instruments can't detect Him. It doesn't make sense the way this galaxy is put together. All of those things, the arrogance and absurdity of a finite mind trying to assume with my finite pea brain little, I don't care if you're Einstein, compared to the enormity of the universe, that I think I can figure everything out to the extent that I know there's nothing beyond what I can figure.
But when you buy into that view, it blinds you because it's a, the whole purpose of all of the philosophies that are out there. And I was a philosophy major in college. The whole view of all of those things ultimately is to exalt themselves against knowing what God, who God is and what God is like. That's the battle. Against, and to us as Christians, because we believe in God. You, you do, don't you? Okay. Yeah. To we who believe in God and believe in Christ, it still affects us because it's not just whether He exists, it's who He is and what He's like. So the strongholds that were built into you as a child growing up, maybe in, maybe in church even, maybe in the school you went to, you are, these, this whole process we've studied built into you an image or images of what this God is like whether you can trust Him, whether He's angry, whether He loves you, what He expects of you, all of those are part of pictures that make up this mosaic in your mind of who this God is. And what you think of Him determines how you'll respond to Him and how you relate to Him and whether you'll obey Him or not, whether you'll worship Him or not. All the aspects of your relationship with Him are going to be controlled by how you see Him. And it's a stronghold that's affecting us. And these images and these strongholds that were built into us growing up have a purpose. From the enemy of our soul is to create in your mind and in my mind strongholds that in a Christian, since he couldn't keep us from being saved, he wants to keep us from enjoying God, loving God, worshiping God, knowing God, having God work in our lives to transform us. He wants to stop that. And he long ago, before you were ever saved, he planted in you thoughts and images and strongholds that were designed for the day that you did come to him, that now you have to deal with these images, these strongholds, because their purpose was to exalt themselves against your really knowing who God is. The image of who God is and what God is like. The second stronghold that exalts itself against the knowledge of God is the image of who you are and what you're like. And that determines how well God will accept you or won't accept you, especially when you combine it with what you see God is like. And so again, in in all of our lives, there was dots put in there, thoughts put in there to form an image of who you are. God's whole process, His whole plan for the family is designed exactly around that. God's plan for the family is to have a man and a woman that leave their parents and become one spiritually one, physically one, in a covenant relationship with each other and with God. And in that context, God has ordained the physical activity that He designed to produce human life. So that He has authorized human life only to be created in this covenant loving context. And He's designed it in such a way so that that child isn't conceived one day and born the next. But that mother has to carry that child as he begins to be he or she begins to be formed in them. By the way, don't forget where I am. <laughs> I've got this little side thought. I was listening to a report from one of the parents here about 
so excited because they, the child that their mother, the woman was carrying, they, they went and had the ultrasound and they came back and they said, we found out it's a boy. And I wanted to say, isn't it interesting? In our modern way of looking at gender, how do they know that now? I thought you've got to wait till you grow up and find out what your inclinations are to find out what your gender is. But somehow they're able to look. Somehow they're able to look at an ultrasound and either see something or not see something. And from that conclusion, they all walk out excited saying, oh, it's a boy, it's a girl. And... And they may be the same people that will fight you to the death. Because what's behind it is not truth. What's behind it is a stronghold that's intended to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. To break down the image of who God is as a father. Now where did I leave off? (laughs) <laughs> what was I oh it's for a vote here what huh? What? oh the mother carrying the baby that's right thank you <laughs> because in the course of that nine months a relationship develops that can't develop that's closer and more intimate than anything else in that way because isn't that why mom says my mother's like I carried you for nine months <laughs> and I know what I went through to bring you into this world and if you don't watch it, I'll take you out. <laughs> it develops something. And then that child is, is fed and nursed and carried. And all the while, that child doesn't know anything except the context of this love. And out of that begins to feel this sense of acceptance and of love and safety and protection. All of that's designed. And as that child grows and matures, I can follow this process out. I want to take the time tonight. This is all planting seeds, dots to prepare that child for when that child now grows up to a place where that child can now be introduced to who this God really is because what's been built in as a stronghold is an image from father and mother who love each other, father and mother who've cared for and provided protection and provision and acceptance and all those, those, those careful, those crucial ingredients that are so necessary that it's an easy transference because there's no image to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Instead, the image that's been built in leads to the knowledge of God. And this is why Satan attacks the family. Because he's not just after the father and the mother, it's the seed. If you look in Revelation, I think it's 12, the end of 12, he hates the seed. He hates the seed because the seed will produce So he can't destroy the seed physically when he destroys the seed's relationship with God by starting as a child and building into that child an image that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. There's a woman my mother, my my mother, my wife used to visit as a nurse. And I've gone and visited her a few times. She was raised in, in communist Russia under Stalin's regime. 
she was an engineer. Her husband was an engineer. Wonderful woman. Committed. I mean, just a, a wonderful woman. Strong, determined. I mean, she's overcome all kinds of physical obstacles, emotional obstacles, just by the sheer strength of her will. We've gone there to talk to her about the Lord. And she looks at us and she says, you've got to understand, as a child we were taken out of our homes. And as a, from a child up we were taught there is no God. And for me to hear those words and believe there's a God is so hard. Because it's not just that there's no image there, there's an image there that there isn't one. You understand what I'm saying? It's not a vacuum. There's something there, but there's a God. It's not this God. It's me. It's what I can do. It's the government. So hard to penetrate that and overcome that stronghold. So the fight is against imaginations and strongholds that raise themselves up against the knowledge of God, the image of who God is, what God is like, the image of me. So many of us are still overcoming that. I have to work at overcoming it. I had to take scriptures out the other day, and the things I'm going to teach you to do, go through these scriptures again. Most of these scriptures you hear me recite by, isn't, by, by, by rote is not because I sat down to memorize them. I've gone over them and 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 over them in the process of trying to create a new stronghold in my mind to the point, and I did most of them with a the New American Standard, so when I try to read the New King James to you, New American Standard comes out because I can't say anything else because it's been so ingrained in me. And that's the process we're going to learn how to do. It also affects our ability to know God by experience. I know we know Him by faith. I know we learn, you know, we believe He is because the Word says He is. But if I just believe my wife loves me because she says so, and she just believes I love her just because I say so, if it's just a fact then there's, it takes so much out of the joy of the marriage, so much out of the experience of the marriage, the passion out of the marriage. That comes from experiencing the love and desire and passion for each other. And God's not just a principle of faith that He wants us to believe in. And yes, we believe Him by faith. Yes, we receive Him by faith. But God wants to have a living, functioning, dynamic, personal, passionate relationship with each one of us. He longs for that. He desires that. Why does he talk in terms with, with backsliders as adulterers? He talks in terms of breaking a marriage covenant. Why? He's not talking as God and servant. He's talking about husband and wife. That's the whole study of Hosea we went through with Lafayette Scales. God's called us into a loving, passionate... The whole idea of marriage... God didn't take marriage and use that as a model for his relationship with us. It's the other way around. He chose marriage as an example, a tangible example to us us of the relationship he wants to have with us. God doesn't learn from us. His plan is for us to learn from him. I know sometimes we hope he'll learn from us, but I'm glad he doesn't. Knowing God by experience, the images you have of Him, the images you have of yourself, when He says to come boldly to the throne of grace, when He tells you to come and boldly enter in, if you still see yourself as a piece of junk and you're so conscious of your weaknesses and your failures, you're not going to feel the boldness to enter in. Oh, yes, we do it by faith and that's fine. But the emotion, the passion is going to come when you have a sense that God wants you there. Religion is based on strongholds that keep God at a distance. 
Jesus said in Mark 7.13, the traditions of man, the strongholds of man, the, 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 the religious thinking patterns of who God is and who we are and what we have to do to measure up and to be accepted by God, those things make the Word of God of no effect in our lives. And that's not just the written Word. That's the spoken Word. That's Jesus, the Word. It affects our confidence before Him. In most cases, what peaks people back from prayers, they don't have confidence it's going to be answered. Imagine if you knew with an absolute certainty that whatever you asked God, that you knew was the right thing to ask Him, was going to get answered. This place would be packed out on Tuesday nights. Why? Because it's not that we have a lack of needs. It's that we don't really believe it's going to work. So there are better things to do. But if you knew with a certainty that whatever you came here asking God, He was going to do, and again, that's you know the right thing to ask. If you knew that with a certainty, this place would be packed out. And the reason it isn't is because we don't believe that. Not because that's not what God's promised. Because we have strongholds that exalt themselves against knowing that this is a God who said over and over again, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door shall be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. For what son among you asks his father for a loaf of bread? Will that father give him a stone? Will he trick him? Will he give him something other than he asks? And if that father, son asks his father for a fish, is that father going to give him a serpent? But if you being evil, or compared to God, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give to those who ask? Earlier in that sermon, Jesus says, don't you know your father knows what you need? before you ask? If we really believe that, this would be packed out. Whenever this open for prayer, we've got people waiting at the door to get in it all day and all night to get in here because they would want to make their request known because they knew here God was going to answer it. So something in our mind, because that's the only place it is, is not in reality. Because this is reality. It's in here. It's an image. It's a stronghold. This is, yeah, but not for me. Yeah, but I haven't prayed enough this week. Yeah, but whatever the yeah, but is, it's a stronghold up here that exalts itself against knowing God wants to hear your prayers and answer them. better stop here because the next subject will take longer to get through Father we come to you now (laughs) 
Father, we go along with you and begin to think we're getting somewhere. There are times we may even think we've arrived. We may not admit it to anybody or ourselves, but we begin to feel pretty good. And then we open your word. You speak to us. We see how far we really have to go. But that's the place where your grace meets us. Your grace doesn't meet us where we think we are. Your grace meets us where you know we are. And I don't know whether Paul ever had times where he thought he was really getting somewhere, but we know from the word that he discovered at times his weaknesses. Father, as we've looked tonight in your word and seen what strongholds and just some of the strongholds that have been formed in our mind through our lives, even our lives in church, we realize how far we have to go. But the good news is that's where you meet us. When we discover our weakness, that's where we discover your strength. And I pray tonight for every one of us in here, including myself, that you would continue to expose in our minds those strongholds that have exalted themselves against knowing you. so that we would have them identified and could begin to apply the tools you'll give us to replace those strongholds with the truth of who you really are and what you're really like, with the truth of what you have done in our lives and who you've made us to be. truth of how much you love us and how much you just desire us to come just as we are to be loved by you and to love you help us to set aside pride that simply promotes where we've made ourselves and to see that it's in our weakness that we really come to know who you are and your love and your grace. That you're not disappointed in us. You are never counting on us. We've not failed you. We're just discovering what we really can do on our own apart from you. So pick us up tonight. Dust us off. Encourage us. Meet us where we are. We put this process into your hands for we can't be in charge of it. We release the control of it to you, to the Holy Spirit who you've put inside of us for this very purpose, to lead us into all truth. And we put our trust in him to do the work that you've called him to do in us. And we just thank you tonight. 
for your amazing, amazing grace. In Jesus' name.